0: Welcome to EWA's FinLit podcast. EWA is a fee-only RIA based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We hope all listeners of this podcast will benefit as we deep dive into uh, complex financial topics that we will make simplified for you, and we hope that this really serves as a catalyst so that you can make the best financial planning decisions uh, for your family and also save time. Welcome everyone to this week's FinLit podcast joined here by Jameson and Chris. And today we're tackling uh, student loans. So we're going to cover this in two areas. One is just going to be advice for parents that are sending their kids to college and don't necessarily have it fully funded or just giving them general direction. And then secondly, we're going to talk about someone that has school loans. What are some of the different strategies, thought processes, uh, how do you get a financial plan in sync when you have school loans? So um Chris Jamison, thanks for joining. So first of all, let's talk about the stress test that we've developed for you know some financial planning. So one example of this would be like a house. Chris, what stress test do we have around it but P- purchasing a house? We've got two that we make sure clients pass.
1: Yeah, the first one's making sure that the home expenses fall within 30% of your net take home. And then the second, when it comes to the loan, making sure that the total loan amounts less than 2x your gross income. So an example, if someone's bringing home 20,000 a month of net income, 30% of
0: that would be 6,000 a month, so we'd wanna make sure that someone's housing expenses, including principal interest, taxes, insurance, and some general upkeep, uh, would be under 6,000 a month. And then further than that, if that family is making You know, half a million dollars of total gross income. We want to make sure the total home value is not more than a million dollars because the bigger the home, the more maintenance there is. And so we figured out that if you follow, if you fit both of these tests, this can really help us reverse engineer into what kind of down payment you should make, um, how big of a house you could be in. And this isn't like, what will the bank approve you for? This is like, what will your financial plan allow if you're still balancing and navigating the artwork of living now, but also funding kids college and retiring, becoming financially independent at a certain age, et cetera. So um, we've now developed that for school loans. So for school loans, we found that, you know, generally the generation, this is like the first time in history, if you look at um, kids in their 20s and 30s are less successful financially than their parents. At the same time, when the parents were 20s or 30s, it's the first time that this has happened more often than not. And so school loans are often a reason why, you know, kids coming out of school are really strapped and and don't have the capacity to afford a home or don't have the capacity to, you know, even move out of their house and, and start a life. So um, in general, what we found is that if you have a school loan balance greater than one times your expected income based upon your major, you're going to have financial issues. So for an example, if someone is an accountant major and they're expected, let's say within three years to make 75000 that person should not exit school with more than $75,000 of loans. Let's use the same example of 100000 Um If you're making $100,000, you are probably netting close to $5,600 a month. And if you have $100,000 of school loans um, at a 7% rate, and we generally recommend you at least pay them off in 10 years, your payment would be 11, 1161 per month. So basically twenty percent of your take home immediately is going to school loans if you fall in that rule and that's generally where we want to see people see is twenty percent or less um, if you're a doctor obviously and it's highly specialized you may come out with three or four hundred but your income after you're done with residency fellowship etc may equate after the three-year rule to that so James or Chris anything to add to that 1x rule
2: I just think it's really important to understand like, if you're taking out debt to get, I just think a lot of people don't don't understand like the actual income that you will earn based on the um, degree you get. I'll just use myself for example. Like, I I literally had no idea. Like, I didn't know if like what I was taking out was relative to the income I was going to make. Obviously, like it worked out for me, but like there's a lot of people that take out a ton of debt and come out with like, you know, they'll, they'll spend $100,000 on undergrad and a, some degree that's like not specialized and they come out making like $30,000 a year. Like that's a pretty poor trade-off. Um, so really just awareness around like, what are you going to study and what's like the, the income gonna be is probably the biggest thing. Absolutely.
0: Um, perfect, well Chris, let's go through, so if, assuming someone has school loans, and, um, what are what are all the options let's for, let's first talk about the general public uh, you know that doesn't work for the non-for-profit let's say that's not eligible for the public student loan forgiveness program which we're going to go through in great detail what what would be some general advice we'd give um, and what options do everybody
1: have out there yeah most of the time you're coming out of school mostly with federal debt that's issued by the government um, or less common you can have private student loans but Say more often than not what we see are the federal loans and from there you can choose standard repayment plans that are set on a term of years versus income driven plans, which we'll get to at the public service loan forgiveness. But those make the payment a little, you know, relative to what you're earning so that you can afford it on a you know budget standpoint. But to Jameson's point about the debt relative to how much you're earning, that payment could work monthly, but then ten years of payments could go by and you're you didn't even put a dent in the principal. Um yep. So really important that you're picking a plan that makes sense for you today, but also keeping in mind how long that that's going to be in place. So maybe refinancing or picking a term-based option is going to make sense in a lot of cases.
0: So we can refinance, and I would look at you know interest rates. Uh, obviously, we can get a much better interest rate. Refinance could be a good option. You could refinance in 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years, whatever you want. Um, now, once you do this, the debt's yours. Uh, there's certain advantages of federal loans. Um, you can go on forbearance for you know, several periods, whereas a bank, if you refinance, they may have some more stringent rules on skipping payments if you lose a job or whatnot. Um, the second thing you have to consider as well is if you were going to get your loans forgiven or if there's a chance you're going to get go to a non-for-profit on a 10-year, well, anyone that has federal loans, there's actually payment plans that you can go on a 20- or a 25-year forgiveness plan. The big catch, though, at the end is that those balances at the end, if there's a balance, end up getting tax on the federal and state level. So um, if you add up all of your payments over the 20 or 25 years, then you add the tax liability. Is it how much in total are you going to pay versus just refinancing and paying for 10 or 15 years? Usually a lot more. And school loans, often we find are a huge source of stress. And so then you're adding another 10 years, essentially, of, of that weight on your back of that stress um, so not every decision should be made just purely based upon interest rates or, you know, what makes sense financially. You also have to look at the, the peace of mind factor here as well. And, the you know, the ability to turn the chapter and get that debt off the table as quickly as possible. So we have analyzed that in great detail and very few scenarios do we recommend going after the 20 or 25 year plan for the two reasons. One is all the payments for that long plus the taxes. And then secondly, um, is that usually people's income will go high enough that usually in the year 15, 16, 17-ish, that the payments will get so big that you'll end up paying the loans off because it's based upon income typically. I know there's some new regulations with the save plan that Jameson's going to walk us through. Um, But in general, if you're not working for a non-for-profit, if you're not a teacher, we're recommending let's go through a detailed budget. Let's look, does it make sense to refinance and how... Does it? How does it make sense to refin, You know, refinance, get these paid off in a reasonable term? And generally we recommend having a plan to get the loans at a minimum paid off in 10 years. Most of our clients have gotten them paid off in like three or four years because we're obviously working with higher income um, clients. So let's now get into the Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program. So the Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program is something that is, if you work at a government or a 501c3, um, If you work full-time, which is defined, I believe, as 30 or 32 hours per week, and if you have federal direct loans, and the other requirement is you have to be on a qualifying payment, um, such as an income-based repayment, a repay or a save option that's going to be calculated every year based upon your tax return, if you do 10 years or 120 payments at the end, these loans will be forgiven tax-free actually so it's the best of both worlds but so the questions you need to ask yourself is like if you're a physician or someone working in healthcare at a hospital will you be there or a non-for-profit for the full 10 years um, what happens if you change and you would have been on track by refinancing and now you're off track so our, our general recommendation if you do this save the difference so for example if you had you know a couple hundred thousand dollars of school loans and let's say your your payment under the PSLF public loan forgiveness program was two thousand a month for you to get those loans paid off over ten years, it'd be four thousand a month. We'd recommend go in the plan, pay the two, pay as little as possible, but then save the difference into an investment account that we're tracking the interest rate. So that other two thousand a month, so two thousand goes into the loans, two thousand goes in the investment account, and that way, in year five, six, or you know, if you want to make a change, we can take the balance of that and apply it, and you're still going to be on track for having the ten year payoff. So we don't want to have our money temperature and our lifestyle be dependent on something that we don't know is going to happen until the 10 years is up. So we want to have that backup account um, locked in as much as possible. So um, Jameson, walk us through how the, obviously, you know, there were articles, you know, four or five years ago about how the public should loan forgiveness program, like 98% of applicants were denied. Then COVID hit all kinds of uh, relief. People didn't have to make payments for you know, almost two years. And now the, the policies and the requirements have just loosened up so much. People that weren't making the correct payments are now suddenly eligible. Um, so g- talk to us about, you know, generally the period of where it became really loose and then what clients are looking for or what, you know, potential people on the public student loan for forgiveness program, what considerations they needed to have moving
1: forward.
2: Yeah, so well, a lot to unpack there. The first part you said – it's actually your, your boy, Dave Ramsey, like hates on, he he quotes this all the time, like 98% don't get, don't get forgiven, which is true or was true, probably not now. But, um, the reason that wasn't true and why you read about this is people were applying that didn't work for nonprofits or weren't, they had private loans or like, they just like didn't qualify at all. So before a lot of, um, a lot of people that applied didn't, they didn't get their loans forgiven, but now we've had, um, I know all of us sitting here, we've had a number of clients who've gotten loans forgiven over the past couple of years that, you know, enrolled eight, 10 years ago. So it is coming to fruition. It is happening. And before it was a lot more strict. You had to have certain types of loans. You had to get your, you know, employment certified every year. There's all of these things that needed to, I guess you had to, the boxes, you had to check to qualify. And so what had happened basically was during COVID, um, March or April, whenever it was of 2020, they start paused all the payments and all of those payments going forward for, I guess it was about three years that you weren't making any payments, there was no interest on your loans. Those still counted as PSLF payments. So that was kind of the first thing. Then there was a waiver. I don't remember what it was, 2021 or 2022 that was passed that um, basically said all these payments are going to count. And then they just started loosening up a lot of the a lot of the stipulations. And so things like, I'll give you an example of a a surgeon I work with that he went through four years of training and then, um, another four years of fellowship, maybe. So eight, eight total years of training. And he had deferred had a family, had kids all through that. So he had signed up for the, um, I forget what it's called. Like the forbearance where you can't make the payments. You just don't make enough money to make the payments because he was on a resident salary. And so he didn't make payments for six years. Gets a job, specialized surgeon. This was in 2020 and um, making like a million dollars a year. So he had, I think, four years left, three or four years left on the payments. And we kind of did the math. And it was like, well, you didn't qualify the past six years because you weren't enrolled. And your income now is going to be way too high where you're if you're on one of these... Income-driven repayment plans, your loans are going to end up getting paid off before they would get forgiven. Um, So we didn't refinance. We were going to refinance, but then COVID hit and all the payments got paused. So fast forward now three years. um, This was sometime in 2023. We were about to refinance as the payments were going to kick back in. And I said, hold on, let's like recheck this because there's all of these regulations that they had lifted now. So we called and they basically approved all of those payments for those six eight years, whatever it was, that he was in forbearance that previously hadn't qualified. And now, with the last three years, he was working full-time at a nonprofit. He just got his loans. They approved his loan forgiveness. He never made a payment. Um, so all that well, being all said... All forgiven. Yeah, so it was like 400 thousand dollars of loans that we were about to refinance and pay off. For
0: someone making a million a year. Yeah. I know this is a very polarizing topic. <laughs> a lot of people have opinions on uh, on that. But, I mean, it's in the reality, it's... Uh, yeah, the rules are what the rules are. And we've had uh, probably over the last couple of years, we've counted up like over $50 million of, of yeah. school loans forgiven for our physician clients. So yeah. glad we put in the efforts to figure this program out and guide them through. And a lot of clients have gotten the loan, they're sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars of like extra savings so they the loan backup accounts as well. So yeah. it's been pretty cool to see. And these are physicians who, who went through, you know, 10, 12 years of high stress to now serve their communities and medical care. So, I, um, good for them because now they're as a lot of people think physicians they don't have. That. Reality is like they've delayed their life for ten or fifteen years and now they need to do a lot to get it back on track for retirement and their kids' college, etc. So, um, it's been a blessing for them to get these get this big burden off their off their back and be able to focus on on their career paths and you know serving the communities and obviously you know raising their families. Yeah, so, and
2: I would say bottom line just with all of the like how loose the rules are now, just actionable item would just be check, call and check that payments you thought didn't qualify in the past probably count now. So you can yeah. get a bunch of payments counted. So just- a
0: lot of times, like you said, like we, we had these like neurosurgeons who would, you know, do we would do the calculations and like after fellowship, after like seven, eight years of training, it's like even though there was only, if they did those like payments, it was like four or $500 a month payments for seven or eight years during residency and fellowships, like their the reality is like, the two years the income will be so high that they'll end up paying all the loans yeah. off at the end. But now with these changes, um, with the save plan, et cetera, with the ability to like file taxes separately to keep low payments. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, it's going to make sense for a lot of people to go through with the public student loan forgiveness program. And I have a couple examples where we helped like first one, a neurologist here in Pittsburgh, he was going to te- like, um, Texas. And he was, he was decided between a non-for-profit job and a, uh, a private practice. And so basically at, at the similar incomes, like the private practice and payment, extra 10 grand. So he's like, oh, I want to do that. But my loans, he was, he was strapped with like 400 grand of student loans. And so we figured out he had at that point, six years left on his, the public student loan forgiveness. So if he went to the non-for-profit and did six more years of like a $2,000 a month payment, his loans would be gone. And so then what we did is we figured out what he would need to make over those six years, a higher income, then adjust it for taxes for him to self pay the loans in six years and end up being like 57,000 a year of a higher income that he would need to make gross before taxes to get to the same spot in a lower income because of the student loan forgiveness program. And so we took that back to the private practice. And instead of, you know, paying them two fifty, they offered him 300 on the spot right off the start. So he he went with the private practice. We refinanced, we got the loans and you know, um, it was cool to see because, um, that became a negotiating negotiation factor. Um, and student loans, like practices that want you, will understand. You, student loans are your biggest stress typically financially. And so they'll want to help you and structure a contract that makes sense. So and then fast forward, and we've had, I mean, probably to all of us, probably a hundred. Plus negotiations of contracts that we've used student loans as a as a factor. And those were back in our early days, and now we're mostly working with clients you know that have on the back end of these or that have you know more mature be, uh, in their financial plan. But it it was it was definitely a huge blessing for us to, be able to help so many clients with their student loans. And uh, you know we we want to do this podcast to really just learn all the tough um, knowledge and lessons we've learned along the way, and how you know people with school loans can can make this as stress-free as possible. It's a highly stressful thing. So let's talk about some case examples that we've learned along the years, guys. So if hypothetically, let's talk about three examples. So a single person has, a physician has uh, is in a residency and has $300,000 of school loans. Um, we A couple of things we want to do is make sure the loans are, are federal, direct. Um, if they've already made payments... They've got to be really careful because if they just con- if some are direct, some are not. They consolidate everything. They're resetting their payments to zero. Um, I know those yeah, I rules. I don't know if, I, don't think it, I think it I think those rules back table, into yeah. back into play now. There was like this this COVID exclusions. So we did, but we need to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. The second, not resetting your payments unnecessarily, but you need to make sure your loans are direct so they qualify towards the public student loan forgiveness program. And then you need to see based upon the dates of your loans, what plan are you eligible for, and are you planning on getting married? Because like, repay was a very common strategy, um, revised pay as you earn, it took 10% of you know discretionary income, for example, but um, it didn't allow you, if you become married in the future, to file taxes separately. So it would take both incomes into play. So let's say you married another doctor who didn't have school loans, and that doctor is making the same amount as you, well that income would come into play and then force your payment to double if you were on a revised pay as you earn. So you could go, instead of a 10% of discretionary income, you could go to a 15% base and do income-based repayment, but you only have one time to flip back and forth of those. So you have to be really careful of which payment you take right off the bat. But now enter a new plan that just got introduced during COVID, which was called Save. And now this is very similar to Repay, but also allows you to file taxes separately. So if you're a single person, you know, generally we'd recommend you go on the Save plan. Um, if you get married in the future, you can sniper shot like your income separate from your future spouse's income and keep that payment low. And then at that point, it's a it's a really detailed analysis of um, which, which is bigger, the student loan payment savings or the tax savings by filing separately. And usually the student loan savings are astronomical and we're losing a little bit in taxes, um, not a lot. And then you know after 10 years, we're getting more and more and more forgiven. So that's the single. The other thing we'd recommend is establish a loan backup account. Um, save the difference so that in 10 years no matter what whether the loans are forgiven or not you have a balance enough in that you know brokerage account essentially that's diversified invested properly that you could just wipe out the balance worst case scenario if you moved unexpectedly to a private practice that didn't qualify for the 10-year forgiveness program and if the loans get forgiven now you have the best of both worlds now you have a big investment account that you can allocate towards financial independence earlier on so you're working because you want to not because you have to or you know potentially for for college planning for kids for future kids so um, other considerations, we highly recommend, you know, disability insurance is key for these physicians to have school loans because school loans are, are not forgiven. They're forgiven on death if you're federal loans, but they're not forgiven unless you meet the standards of permanent disability. So it's basically you can't do anything. Um, so if you're a physician, you can't do your physician work, but you could still do some consulting work or some maybe some legal review. Um, school loans aren't going anywhere, so have a disability insurance that can come into play and, and replace some of your income. To be able to to manage his obligations still as well. Any other recommendations that you can think of in that single example? Any other considerations that would come into play? Example
2: of a single tax filer? Yep. Um you know, disability insurance is huge because if you're disabled, you can't be employed, most likely you can't be employed by a nonprofit if your yep. loans aren't forgiven. Um yeah. I we can go through the difference between the save plan if you want, but anything to add in the single?
0: Yeah. What's the main difference between the revised pays you run in the save plan?
2: So the big difference is you said the tax filing. So if um, if you were on repay and you tried to file separate, there's some nuances to this, but high level, both income both incomes into come play. into play. Yeah. So with the save plan, you can file separate, and it's only going to just like income, income. based
0: repayment. You can.
2: Yeah. So that's one. Second thing the. Payments monthly, it's a different calculation based on um, percentage of discretionary income. Usually it's a little bit lower than repay. And then the, the other difference from um, the unpaid interest that each month that you don't pay, so money that goes towards princi- pr- principal and interest, but whatever's left over in interest, repay 50% of that gets forgiven on just safe. the
0: unsubsidized. So yeah. if you look at like If someone has 300 grand of of school loans, usually the cap on subsidized loans is really low per year. It's like six or seven grand a year. So, generally, all we've analyzed is a million times, but like if, not a million times, like hundreds of times, but like if someone has 300 grand of school loans, probably 30 grand of it subsidized, 270 is is unsubsidized. So, in the repay plan, 270, um, let's say a 7% interest rate would be. Eighteen thousand nine hundred of interest, and you know the payment would go into that. Let's say four grand. That would be fourteen thousand nine hundred of interest, and half of that would be forgiven. So almost you know seven thousand four hundred fifty dollars of interest every year in the repay. That's very attractive. If you end up not getting the loans forgiven, that's less money that you have to pay. If you end up getting the loans forgiven, it's all irrelevant. But that's a huge advantage of repay. And then real quick, I'm going to say pay as you earn, which is an older plan. The all the um, subsidized interest gets taken off the table. But again, the subsidized interest is very low. I don't think pay as you earn for most people is that viable of, uh, of an option. The repay would be the way to go. But what's the difference? Save in that
2: all that interest gets forgiven. 100% of it. Yeah. So okay. if you're on repay, you automatically flip over to save, which every time I've seen, save is more efficient than repay. There was one example I saw where the individual was on pay as you earn, and pay as you earn actually was a better lower monthly payment was a better outcome than save so
0: again if you're getting the loans forgiven after 10 years the pays you were an option you're gonna have a lot bigger of a balance at the end because only the subsidized mm -hmm. interest is who cares the whole thing whether it's 300 grand or 400 grand at the end it's all getting forgiven the only ramification would be if you jump off the plan then save even though you're paying higher would be a much better result if you end up having to absorb the liability back to yourself and without forgiveness at the end yeah so yeah. the save is like the safest option, most flexible option, even if it's a little bit of a higher payment than Or and it's still, in generalities, like everyone's case by case And generalities for someone that's not married or, or married, not sure if they're going to get married or thinking about getting married, all of those ramifications, save is going to be give us the most flexibility and the most protection if you end up absorbing that loan balance at the end. So it's good. Good uh, legislation that came out by the government for for addressing some of the, you know, the penalties. Essentially, if you're married or not married, or based upon when you took out yeah. the student loans, it was kind of crazy. All the, the, the details that went into these, I so mean, this we, really simplified it.
2: We had clients that have still haven't gotten married for student loan purposes. So it's like it, you know, that's true. A lot of I things. Can think that, of three right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of it's like impacts. Of, you know, yeah. huge impact of your life. A lot life.
0: of angry, angry uh, fiancés. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, not kidding, actually. So, um, thank you, government, for coming out to save plan. <laughs> you just saved some future marriages. All right, so, um, Chris, you've been awfully quiet.
1: Yeah, you guys are crazy. What's,
0: what's your opinion about all that?
1: Uh, agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, saves. Makes the most sense in most cases. You're, yeah. a, good, you're
0: a good listener because you were like you were just listening to us. Yeah, just taking it all in. Like, you're on your you iPad. read that? I you. you
2: read that book? Or are you really listening? I did. Yeah.
0: What are the four signs of non-listening? Do you remember those? Um, Don't Google interrupting. This for
1: this one, I think, right? Not letting people talk. Yeah, that was one. Like making it about yourself.
0: Forming answers like while
1: they're still yeah, talking.
0: Right. What he just did.
2: Oh, um, you, you, okay. similar situations, that. experiences yeah, saying
0: like, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah.
2: You know, third and fourth.
1: Yeah.
0: That was three. That was three of them. What was the fourth?
2: Oh, it's you judge the situation and you give advice when you're not asked.
0: Good book. Chris is our
1: living example of, are you really listening? Thank you, Chris.
2: you have any good Len stories?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, definitely some big numbers that have been forgiven, um, a lot of that was put in place. I know Matt, you did a lot of work early on, like getting a lot of these, a lot of the families that we work with set up on the right path. So it's it's just cool to see it.
0: Okay, let's use an example of what not to do. So Chris interned with us and when did you intern with us? At Duke? fresh out of Duquesne. Yeah. 2016. 16. So, yeah. so Chris gets out of college. We offer him full time, he accepts obviously. Happy, happy union. To Chris and EWA. Um, and that's still back when we were at the former broker-dealer. And then, next thing I know, we can, to the full-time, you know, Chris had interned for like two years before he you know, became full-time. He shows up with a, um, what car did you buy? I
1: had a Mustang.
0: A Mustang, fresh out of school. We weren't paying him that well. So now he's managing school loans and a Mustang. And since then, he's obviously smart enough. School loans are almost wiped out and you don't have the Mustang anymore, do you? I was living at home, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Well, just just a hypothetical example. Of, you're saying don't do that? I would. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we had fun in that Mustang. It was a cool car. He just took the rent. You should get it that back.
2: And, uh, put it towards the yeah. end, Yeah.
0: Should. A little bit of snow outside. I don't know. Yeah, maybe in the summer. Wait for the summer. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's talk through. Uh, so, hypothetically, if, if you're married and you both have school loans this is where repay was kind of a home run because if like you're married you each make 300 grand and you each have 300 grand of income what would happen is you're you could get taxes filed jointly save some taxes and the payments would be spread out based upon your income it didn't even matter how much how long your school loans how big a school loans you are it was based upon your income and so then you kind of take on and it, it would, you get the best of both worlds now where it gets tricky is if you have a spouse that makes a ton and a spouse that doesn't make a ton then you have to figure out what's the difference between the taxes saved, because the person making a ton that filing jointly is going to really help the overall tax situation, because um, especially if you're comparing two single people to considering married, it's really drastic versus married filing separately versus married filing jointly. Then you have to do the calculation of the loan payments versus the tax saving. Those are very individualized, but something we've gotten really detailed into. Um, other considerations would be if you um so save plan, tell walk me through that real quick, Jameson. Is there any if you're married, does it allow you to combine payments? Like repay, where it essentially looks at the household. Not com- you know, not combined payments, you have two separate payments, but does the calculation work together as a family when you both have school loans?
2: I think it's based on just your income. Okay. See if I can find the answer to that,
0: and there's not a big difference if you're making similar incomes, there's not a big difference. But that would be the where we want to re- look at really in detail: save versus repay. And the other thing too is like if you have a spouse that's not pursuing the ten-year forgiveness program, this this has been quite common. High income, but still has federal loans. We'll do the repay to allow the taxes to be filed for allow the person with the big loans to keep that payment down, because then the spouse that is end up needing to pay off their loans, absorbs most of the higher payment because of their income. And so it's kind of like not a fake out, but it's you know essentially the government through repay allows both payments to be structured and then we want the, the person that doesn't have the forgiveness to pay as much as possible anyways because they're gonna be stuck with the liability then we want the person that's gonna get the forgiveness to pay as little as possible. That's obviously worked as well as if you have, just because if you're married, just because you're not a non-for-profit, it still makes sense for you to go Act like you're on the public student loan forgiveness program to help your spouse out dramatically with taxes and loan payments staying low.
2: Repay is actually going away. Saved, replacing it. So it's, not, not it's right it all together. Yeah.
0: When does that come into effect?
2: I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I don't know. We could could find that.
0: Yeah, so it's something we need to research, and if you're on repay, are you automatically transferred to save? But obviously it's a case-by-case basis. Um, Any other closing thoughts, guys, on school loans?
1: No, I think JMO hit on it earlier. I think just being educated about what your degree is actually gonna get you is is huge, because I think so many kids don't have a clue on how it works, so I think that's huge.
0: For sure. But educate yourself, be proactive uh, ahead of time, and then have a good game plan after the fact to get these you know, forgiven, paid off, refinance, et cetera. Evaluate all your options.
2: If you were to, both of you, to go back and get a degree, and you were to go back to college and get a degree now, knowing what you know, what would it be?
0: I um, do exactly what I did. I do finance and accounting. Yeah. I do accounting to know what I didn't want to do. And then finance, obviously, is is what we do. Even though you know it's very, it was very corporate finance heavy. It was still numbers are numbers, and it still
1: got me in a good position to. Um, oh, yeah. I I'd, I'd do the same thing. I would probably just pick a different, cheaper school. I paid for a lot of went to Duquesne here. That's a private school. Um, just feel like a lot of the courses I took didn't apply at all to what we do today. So a lot of the core, which I know is the case at a lot of universities, but. I guess I wish I could just take the courses that are related to what I wanna do versus mm. you know, taking like an art class or something. Like, I'm not an artist, you know? So, still finance, but potentially different institution.
0: Just get the same degree, but at a cheaper cost. Yeah, like
1: cutting out That's all that. the filler that comes with the college experience, I guess. How about you, Jameson?
2: Quantum physics. No, I'm kidding. Um, I probably, my, not regret, but I would, um. So I played college lacrosse and went to a school that gave me a nice scholarship, which, which was nice. I didn't have very much to pay back in loans, but um, I probably would have used lacrosse to get me into a school that I wouldn't have qualified to get into with, with academics Economics. alone. So, yeah. like, uh, tried to get into like an Ivy League or like somewhere that like you know I wouldn't have gotten into. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe study the same thing, but
0: yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in to uh, our podcast. Hopefully, you found this helpful. Really hope this is as beneficial and impactful to as many people uh, across the nation as possible. So, hit the follow button. Uh, make sure to rate the podcast, and please share uh, with any friends or family members that would also find this beneficial. Thank you very much.